The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. Relief rally. Stocks are higher as investors breathe a sigh of relief on earnings, and we count down to what feels like a fairly predictable decision next hour from the Fed. But are we being lured into a false sense of calm? Will Chair Powell double down on his inflation fight even as markets think it'll prove short-lived? We will ask. Plus, we've got all these housing headwinds as rates rise, so are cancellations to build new homes. Taylor Morrison is the latest builder to report a slowdown. The CEO is here live with what she is hoping to hear from Powell today. And in earnings exchange, it's Meta, of course. It's also Ford, and our trader pounds the table for Stanley Black and Decker. It's all coming up, but first to today's markets with Dominic Chu. Rally is pretty strong here, Kelly. I mean, ahead of the Fed, you wouldn't think it would be this dramatic, but maybe where we've come from has something to do with where we are right now, because it has been decidedly negative over the last few weeks here with the market narrative. And today's gains kind of put you back towards the middle of that trading range, shorter term that we've seen in the bounce off the lows. But nonetheless, the Dow Industrials is up 100 points, but one third of 1%. One and a third percent declines for advances, rather, for the S&P 500, 39.72. So we're still trying to reclaim that 4,000 spot. And the Nasdaq Composite up 285 points, roughly 2.5% has been the real epicenter given some of those stronger moves that we've seen in Alphabet, the parent company of Google and Microsoft. Just to give you an idea of the trading range so far today, at the highs of the session, up 320 six points for the composite index plus 156 at the low so tilting a little bit more towards the upper end of that range though but still not at the session highs right now we'll see what happens as we approach the fed speaking of check out what's happening right now with the interest rate complex always a huge focus as we talk about interest rate decision days we're seeing a little bit of a bid come to certain parts of the yield curve the two-year treasury note yield is seeing a little bit of selling pressure so yields are up higher to 3.07 percent meanwhile the five-year 10-year and 30-year long bond are all seeing some moves lower in yields. The benchmark 10-year right now, just a little bit below 2.77%. So keep an eye on that interest rate complex, especially the inversion right now between the 2 and the 10-year. And then Big cap and big financials, always a big focus on interest rate decision days. We've, of course, told you about the Microsoft and Alphabet earnings kind of tailwind that we've seen. Apple is also up north of one and a half percent. But J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America kind of holding pattern, if you will. J.P. Morgan up one quarter of one percent. Bank of America, Kelly, up about two tenths of one percent. I'll send things back over to you. And that's our pre-Fed state of affairs. Dom, thank you. We have less than an hour until that big decision on rates, and it could be a big one. Steve Leisman is standing by at the Federal Reserve with what we should expect. And I always like to see what you're going to ask them, Steve. Well, I'll give you some hint of that here, Kelly. The Fed obviously expected to hike by 75 basis points today. And Fed Chair Jay Powell, I think, is going to face some questions that he's not able to or quite ready to answer uh, right at this time. Now, among those questions that we're looking for, first, uh, how does policy react to a potential recession or a slowdown here? And, and how does the, and does the market have priced the 2023 cuts that it has baked in? The futures market price right now for uh, 75 today, an additional full percentage point by year end. But after peaking out at, uh, what do you call it, uh, 241, 243 right now in February, you can see there, 
fairly aggressive, aggressive rate cuts are built in that would bring the funds rate back down below 3% by the end of next year. Powell faces what I could call the uh, Ackman quandary after a uh, uh, tweet that the uh, hedge fund manager put out yesterday. It said, the more the markets believe that the Fed will immediately reverse course, the less effective raising rates will be in moderating inflation and the more the Fed will have to raise rates. And so Powell can't afford to sound too dovish now because that will end up with the markets working against him, that is uh, easing financial conditions. Meanwhile, uh, we had some data this morning, by the way, that caused uh, uh, many forecasters to raise their, out- their outlook for the second quarter GDP number, which comes out tomorrow. Take a look at some of these uh, forecasts. Amherst Pierpont went up by half a point to 1.3. J.P. Morgan to 1.4, up by 0.7. Atlanta Fed still the outlier with a negative 1.2, but they went up half a point as well. Morgan Stanley up almost a full percentage point as we move away at least from these forecasts from the possibility of that second quarter of negative growth. For Powell, uh, he gets two more inflation reports before he has to make a decision about what to do in September. Uh, And we don't really have a framework uh, for what the Fed is going to do. So it's meeting by meeting, data point by data point. And uh, we'll have to wait till Powell has a better idea of how much inflation comes down if it does and how much the economy weakens and how he puts those two together, Kelly. Did you hint at your question in there, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to know how he reacts to a slowing economy and whether or not the market has this right about uh, these rate cuts it has built in. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. We're looking forward to it. And we'll let you go. Our Steve Leisman at the Fed to prepare. Senator Warren on uh, CNBC earlier issuing a warning that if the Fed keeps hiking rates like this, they'll trigger an unnecessary recession. Take a listen. Jerome Powell can't fix everything, but if he uses his one tool very aggressively, he runs the risk of having the Fed push our economy into a recession. Here now to respond and get us ready for this Fed decision, Charlie Babrinskoy is vice chair of Ariel Investments. Subhadra Rajapa is head of U.S. rate strategy at Societe Generale. And Francis Donald is chief economist and strategist at Manulife Investment Management. Welcome, everybody. Charlie, you want to respond to that? And, and what do you think the Fed should do here? I hope you're sitting down, uh, Kelly, because I actually agree with Senator Warren, which may be a first for me. Wow. Uh, she's absolutely right that that the Fed can't do anything to bring down inflation, but they can cause a recession. The reason we have this inflation is because we had massive increase in the money supply, massive deficit spending, which the Fed monetized. They can't fix that. The good news is that the money supply has stopped going up. The deficit spending is basically stopped. And so we are on a path to controlling inflation. But all that Fed can do now is throw us into a recession, and that's not going to be helpful. So you think they should just do nothing at this meeting? No, I mean, we can't. We right now have such negative real rates in this uh, inflation environment. Having this uh, interest rate environment doesn't actually make a lot of sense. So he needs to increase rates. Rates were artificially low across the yield curve. And so they do need to be higher. But I really do wish he'd stop talking about this being an excessively heated economy causing inflation. That is not what we have now. Very interesting. I so much I want to circle back to uh, and, and unpack there. Let's do it with Subhadra and Francis. Francis, I think you have a very similar point of view here. You're worried about the economy slowing. Uh, do you think that the conversation should be and will turn to rate cuts? Absolutely, the conversation will turn to rate cuts because the economy is going to slow materially. But is that enough for the Fed? 
So the big question for me today is what is the Fed's decision-making function going to look like over the next six to 12 months? We know right now they're very focused on the inflation story. Should they be? Well, they own some of the story, but I agree with my colleagues here. So does fiscal, so does supply chains. They can't cure all with rate hikes. But as we head into the next six to 12 months, we are going to see those initial jobless claims rise. We are going to see unemployment get higher. Will they switch back towards focusing on their dual mandate? I suspect later this year we'll see it. I don't think today we're going to see that pivot, though. I do think, Subhadra, that Bill Ackman makes a really interesting point where the market jumps too quickly to sort of use the playbook from the last recession slowdown where this Fed is going to quickly be shifting to cutting rates. And it's not clear that inflation is actually going to let them do it. I mean, we talked about this yesterday, but there are plenty of people who are skeptical that inflation will be low enough that it would even make sense to start talking about rate cuts. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I agree with uh, with Bill Ackman's comment. In some respects, I think the market is getting a little ahead of itself. Uh, you know, to me, what the concern is that if they do actually overshoot and go to maybe four percent or four and a half percent in the Fed funds rate, then there's a heightened risk of a hard landing or a sharp slowdown in the economy that would warrant. Uh, them to actually cut rates soon after they sort of overshoot quite dramatically. So a better policy prescription, in my view, would be if they sort of get the uh, the Fed funds rate to three or three and a quarter percent, and then take a much more measured data dependent approach. And we could get to that three or three and a quarter percent by the end of the year. Uh, so after that, I think a much more measured approach rate hikes makes sense. So this argument of like sort of overshooting first and then having to cut rates aggressively afterwards doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Do you think there's a chance, Charlie, they'll go just half a point? No, I think one of the things they have learned is that you don't want to really surprise the market either direction. And I think they've been telegraphing three quarters of a point, which I think is the right thing to do. Again, our interest rates were abnormally low and they need to be higher and they're going to get there gradually. That's the right approach. If he does something silly today, he'll lose confidence. And I don't think he wants to do that. You would call it silly if he goes less than three quarters of a point? Yeah, I mean that that would be him saying inflation is not as bad as uh, as anybody with their own eyes can see it is, and so that would just be um, a signal that they've won the war, which they clearly haven't. So we need to stay on the path of modestly higher rates until we get inflation relief. And by the way, we're going to start getting better inflation numbers month over month. The numbers are going to start looking better. The year over year numbers are still going to be very high, but. The inputs are already st- have stopped rising as fast as they were before. There are still places, Francis, where we're seeing upward pressure, core services prices and things like that that are way less visible, but nonetheless will be there into 2023 and maybe beyond. So what's your own projection for inflation at this point? We were above 9 percent last month or call it 6, 7 percent on PCE. Where do you think we'll be in you know 12 months time? Well, we have us coming back down to 2%, but that's not really the story. The story is what the composition of that inflation looks like. Look, the Fed can bring down many elements of inflation in this economy, even if they were caused by fiscal or supply chain. But they're going to have a heck of a time bringing down food and energy inflation, and shelter is going to come down with a lag. So I suspect we're going to see very bifurcated inflation as we go into next year. And this is why last meeting with Powell was so important, where he said he was looking at energy prices and headline inflation. If they want to change their tune, they can start talking more about core inflation being important. That I would view as a dovish pivot. But look at the composition of inflation and how the Fed speaks about it. I think that's way more important than the headline number. 
But do you think we're going to be at 2% inflation one year from now? Yes, we could very well be between two and two and a half percent inflation. And a lot of that, Kelly, is just going to be math. It's going to be base effects and goods prices. It's not going to be a reduction in prices. We have crazy high prices right now, which are hurting consumers. We're not going to see those unwind. We're just going to see them grow more slowly. That's going to be a big challenge for this consumer moving forward. It's also going to make central banks' lives more difficult. Yeah, I'm trying to see how we get 2% inflation if wages are running 4% still. Um, Subhadra, what what, what's the market pricing in? Is, do you think that's realistic, that kind of decline? Uh, the market is actually giving the Fed a lot of credibility. If you look at break-evens, 10 break-evens have declined below 250 basis points. So the market's basically saying over the longer run even, uh, you know, break-evens uh, are suggesting that inflation will remain relatively contained uh, you know, below 250 to me is 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 a pretty good uh, you know sign that the, that the market's willing to give the Fed a lot of credibility. You're seeing the same thing in the survey-based measures of inf- inflation. The University of Michigan five to ten-year survey-based measures of inflation have also come down quite uh, meaningfully uh, in the last couple of months. So again, you know, in that sort of context, I think the Fed should feel very comfortable with its you know current trajectory of raising rates, front-loading rate hikes at the at the next couple of meetings, and and then taking a much more gradual approach after they get the Fed funds rate to around maybe three to three and a quarter percent. Yeah, I can understand it over five or 10 years if we're kind of in that range. But to, to get there so quickly, do you think, Subhadra, the level of the 10 year right now makes sense? 277, let's call it. So, so that's a very good question because it does feel like we've reached the peak in, in 10 yields around three and a quarter percent. The market, the 10 year part of the, of the yield curve is starting to price in risks of a recession, right? The two tenths part of the curve is, is inverted. You're starting to see almost every other metric within, within the yield curve universe starting to invert as well. The only metric that hasn't, you know, gotten close to inversion is the three month 10 year part of the curve. So we'll be really I'd be watching closely to, to hear what Chair Powell has to say on, on the yield curve and how concerned he is about the potential for, for a recession based on the signals he's getting from the yield curve. Right. And that's what I think is going to keep 10 yields uh, you know, relatively uh, capped at these levels. Charlie, we started with you. We'll close with you. Do you think the 10-year makes sense here? And do you have any parting words for uh, stock investors? It does not make sense. It hasn't made sense for the last three or four years. There's no reason why the 10-year, why anybody should lend money to the U.S. government and only get 2.75% back in this kind of inflationary environment. You've had negative real return owning government bonds for the last four or five years. It makes no sense. They're going to go higher. The historic number is closer to 4%, which is where they should be. Even though you think the Fed shouldn't, you know, I'm just trying to square that with what you said a moment ago. The bond, hold, bond investors deserve and have always gotten a real return. The last three or four years, they haven't. Right now, the rate is very low because people are, are fleeing to safety. And so they're buying a, a low-risk asset, which is fine, but they're not getting uh, enough of a return on that. There's Over the next 10 years, we're going to average north of 2% in inflation. I think it's going to be significantly more than that. And therefore, the rate, as you asked me, doesn't isn't fully compensating people for the inflationary risk they're taking. All right, we are going to leave it there. Thank you, everybody. Charlie Babrinskoy, Subhadra Rajapa, Francis uh, Donald, ahead of a very key Fed decision. Uh, we very much thank you for your time today. want to just mention shares of Visa and MasterCard right now, which are hitting session lows in the last few moments on a Wall Street Journal report saying that Senators Durbin and Roger Marshall will introduce a bipartisan bill aimed at credit card fees 
The legislation would allow merchants to process card transactions over different networks. We've reached out to both companies. We'll let you know when we hear more. Visa shares are down 2.5%, MasterCard a little less than 1%. And coming up, we will ask the CEO of Stiefel if he still worries the Fed is tightening too quickly. We'll also get his latest read on markets and the economy. Plus, MetaShares seeing a relief rally from big tech's results last night, but is the bar higher now for their report this afternoon? We'll tell you what to expect and what other key reports we are watching. As we head to break here, let's check on the markets. The Dow's up a quarter percent. The S&P's up 1.3 percent. The Nasdaq up two and a half percent as we await the decision top of the hour. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange. We are 41 minutes from the Fed decision. And before the big hike last time in June, the chairman and CEO of Stiefel Financial warned us the Fed could trigger a meltdown in markets if they tighten too quickly, saying a pause after September might even be warranted. Stiefel this morning also reporting second quarter results. The stock trading down about 2% on an EPS miss, though revenues were in line. Joining me now is Ron Kraszewski. He is the chairman and CEO of Stiefel. And it's great to have you back, Ron. Welcome. Hey, Callie, how are you? I, you know, I'm good. There is a lot of confusion <laughs> and a lot of different perspectives about what the Fed should or shouldn't do here. So maybe, are you in the Elizabeth Warren camp now? Is that what we're going to call it? Well, you know, let, you know let's, let's take a different uh, view here for a second. And it kind of is, where are we? And I, I will say, Kelly, you know, we tend to not repeat the mistakes of our parents. We repeat the mistakes of our grandparents and not looking back. And so here's, here's what I'd ask you to look at. Is this inflation that we're looking at today, is this 70s-like inflation or is this inflation that occurred like right after World War II? And let me remind you that right after World War II, inflation went from 2% to almost 14, right back to 2 in 46, 47. And what happened was that you, we came out of a war, huge expansion of the money supply, and a reopening of the economy. Look, COVID, we spent as much as we did in World War II, we reopened the economy, inflation really spikes, and I suspect that this is more like 46 than it is the 70s. And I, that's the perspective that I bring to this. I think it's a really interesting one. And we've heard the, the analogy to the 40s and, and how that could be relevant. I guess the key question to ask would be, how did inflation fall that quickly? 
And what was it in the 60s and 70s that didn't work? Because back then they also thought the increase in inflation was a one-off and we had a couple recessions and it still didn't go away and it kept getting worse. And there are some similarities to the redistribution effects that we saw after the Great Society in the 70s and what we've witnessed with the redistribution of the stimulus today. Well, in the 70s, you, you, the economy was much more closed, a lot more regulation, you know, a lot, a lot more uh, entrenchment of labor and CPI increases. And inflation was a lot different in the 70s than we're looking at today. What happened, again, after the, uh, the war, and, and again, we've just had a war with COVID, it was uh, the, the confluence of a huge expansion of the money supply with a reopening of the economy. I think they're very, very similar in terms of circumstances. And that therefore, uh, I would say that inflation is going to come down a lot faster than what people would think of it being entrenched. Uh, and, and that's something that we have to think about, Kelly, especially with what the Fed's thinking about. Let's maybe use Stiefel as an example. How much is comp up year on year and how much do you expect it to keep growing? Or are you guys going to shift into sort of a hiring freeze or even layoff mode? Well, I don't think we've ever had a layoff in my 26 years here. We're, we're a growth company and we're wow. always growing. So I, I, don't, I don't think that way. Even though we've been through a very difficult uh, market here in the first six months, uh, we're, we're, we're growing. And our comp is very variable. But as a base case, you know, we raised comp, you know, up 4 percent. Uh, on base salaries, and that needed to be done. We, we've had a suppression of wages because of low inflation. I, I don't view that as some, you know, base that inflation is going to be, you know, climbing eight or nine percent. I think that inflation is going to come back down. And let's talk about the Fed. The Fed's going to raise 75 basis points back. Last time I talked to you, I said they should be slow. Yeah. I think what they need to do is look now at where the terminal rate should be. The market thinks the terminal rate should be 335 at the end of the year. Look, Kelly, the 30 years at 3%, the 10 years at 277. I personally think the Fed has to raise rates, but when that last 25 basis points in December, which is what the market's thinking, 50, 25, 25, I think that last 25 could be on the table not to happen. Oh, sure. You get to 3%. Yeah, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be pushing it uh, or must should be much more data dependent. We're That's still talking thought. about a doubling of rates from here and the pace of quantitative tightening picking up uh, considerably. So there's a lot that's still coming down the pike. I guess the final question is, I, I noticed that you guys are seeing bank loans up. And can you talk about that? I mean, all of this, we've had asset prices, you know, and, and demand driven by the, the Fed. But what are you seeing in terms of actual demand for bank loans and credit in the economy? What are those trends like right now? Well, I mean, they're dampened, but we still see demand. We had good loan growth. It's, it's, you know, the economy and the markets are adjusting to higher short-term rates. And, and, you know, we saw that. Look, Kelly, the market was down. Inflation adjusted 28% in the first half. Uh, I, I'll, let, I, I'll leave you with this thought. We thought, and we put out a call when the market was 3,600, that we thought the market would rally to 4,200. And we stand by that call. We think that actually you could see uh, some stimulus to this market with the Fed signaling. And if, boy, if we would get a ceasefire in Ukraine, that could be really big sure. on the upside. Downside would always be an oil shock. Yeah, you really never have laid anyone off in 26 years? 
Uh, we've not had it. We've not had a layoff. We, let, let me put it this way. We've ended every year with more people than we've started. Well, wow. Growth mode, like you said. Uh, <laughs> we'll, let you well, run, <laughs> we'll let you run the whole economy. Yeah. Uh, Ron, thank you so well, much. I, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your time today. It's always good to check in with you. Kelly, good to see you. Thanks. We appreciate it. Ron Krzyzewski is the chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Coming up, higher rates usually mean trouble for emerging markets. Just look at the 10-year versus the EEM ETF this year. Not pretty. But some countries are finding a workaround. We'll tell you what it is and who's making the most of it. Plus, how are home builders dealing with higher rates? The CEO of Taylor Morrison joins us on the heels of their earnings report with full details. The exchange is back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back, everybody. Here's your pre-Fed snapshot. The Nasdaq up 2.5% today after better-than-feared big tech earnings. The S&P up 1.3%, 39.72, the level there. The Dow trailing with a quarter percent gain. I've also got a news alert for you. The Senate passing the CHIPS Act, 64 to 33. It now moves on to the House where it's expected to pass. It will then be sent to President Biden's desk for him to sign before leaving for the August recess. The president just put out a statement applauding the passage, saying it will lower costs and create jobs. Here's a look at some of the semiconductor names. Uh, AMD, NVIDIA, some of the strongest performers. AMD up 3%, NVIDIA almost 5%. Um, but again, kind of modest here. A lot of expectations that this would happen are already priced in. Intel, probably the poster child for the CHIPS Act, adding about 2% in the session today. Still ahead, the Fed's impact on housing. We're Definitely now seeing the fallout on sales and cancellations. And the CEO of one of the nation's largest home builders joins us live with how she's navigating the slowdown. That's next. Welcome back, everybody. Pending home sales in June were down 20% compared with last year, coinciding with that jump in mortgage rates. And the home builders are feeling the impact of this rapidly cooling housing market. Over the past week, we've seen results from DR Horton, Pulte, and Taylor Morrison, which reported today. All three have reported a slowdown in demand and an increase in cancellations. Now, Taylor Morrison beat estimates, but lowered its full year sales guidance. Diana Olick is here now with a first on CNBC interview. Diana? Well, Kelly, Phoenix-based Taylor Morrison did report better than expected earnings, but new orders were down 25 percent as the housing correction now really takes hold. Joining us is CEO Cheryl Palmer. Cheryl, thanks so much for being here. We are obviously at an inflection point in the housing market, a correction point, and less than an hour from the Fed announcement on interest rates. In your view, is the Fed making the right moves given this impact on your business? 
Yeah, I think the Fed mandate, Diana, has been quite clear. And certainly with housing being such an economic driver um, on the inflationary pressures, um, housing is going to feel this. Um, I think that the Fed is acting very swiftly. I think that we all expect to see an additional 75 basis points today. And I think the sooner we move through this, honestly, the better we are. Now, your cancellation rate jumped nearly doubled almost. So it means you're sitting on a lot of supply right now. How are you going to deal with that going forward? Are you going to have to lower prices? Obviously, you're doing incentives, but will prices come down? So, so Diana, I think to start with, when you look at our cancellation rate, um, I think looking at the year over year number or increase is probably the wrong baseline because even at the second quarter cancellation rate that we reported today, this is still so much lower than historic averages for as long as I've been in this industry. Um, so honestly, when I look at our 10%, 10.8% cancellation rate, I feel really good, especially when that's like 3% of our starting backlog. We've actually taken a very proactive stance with our backlog and you know, being in touch with all of them, helping them understand kind of the financing options out there and going ahead and getting them locked. In fact, I would tell you that we have a higher percentage of our back half already locked than I've ever seen before. As far as incentives on the sales floor, Diana, um, you know, we have really focused, I spent a lot of time um, this morning on the earnings call talking about this, but we've really focused our incentives on um, working with our customers to get the benefit of good financing. And so we haven't made really any pricing adjustments, but instead we're working with our customers and tailoring to their needs. Generally, the impact that they're trying to overcome is on monthly mortgage payment and cash to close. And by using our incentives to tailor it to their individual needs, we're able to address both of those items. Um, and let's talk for a minute about your stock. It's obviously rebounded nicely in the last month, but you're still down 20% year to date. What are you telling investors now going forward? Uh, you know, when you look at the way the uh, industry has been valued since the beginning of the year, clearly there's some uncertainty, no different than what we're seeing with the consumer on what do all these inflationary pressures mean? You know, if you look at the historic playbook, when interest rates move up, um, generally sales uh, slide. So I think that's what's getting priced into the builder stocks. I think as soon as, once again, we can get some confidence and some certainty and not the level of volatility we've seen, I think that will serve us well. You know better than I do that there is not a direct one-to-one -one correlation with Fed fund rates and mortgage rates. But if you look at what's happened to date, you know, we're seeing um, mortgage rates that have moved so much, you know, higher, almost two times higher than the Fed, Fed funds rate. So when I kind of look historically, and I think generally that's only about 40%, I think most of this is priced in, Diana, and we'll start to see some settling. And I think all projections right now are saying next year we could see those rates start to come down a little bit as well. Cheryl, it's Kelly here. What's the worst case scenario that you're currently prepared for? You know, I think um, we look at, and doing sensitivities all the time, we look at volume. 
Um, I think as the consumer adjusts to today's environment, it's really understanding what the volume implications are. Um, right now, inventory is very low. Um, I would say when I look across all of our markets on uh, the resale market, we're averaging like one month of supply. That's still so low by any historic standards. You know, if we see that continue to move up, I think that would, you know, we'd have to reevaluate and look at pricing and our strategies. Same on the new home market. There's really no completed inventory across our markets. We reported this morning, you know, 60 inventory, completed inventory homes on 320 communities. And that's pretty consistent across the peer group. So I think we just all have to keep a very close eye on inventory and new communities that are coming to market. And Cheryl, just finally, what about lumber prices? We're seeing them down 16% just this month, 50% already this year. Is that helping you in being able to price a little better and with other supply chain issues also easing up? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see some relief on the, um, the lumber side. You know, when we look at the second quarter, we actually had some pretty nice support, which really did help our record-breaking margin that we announced this morning. When we move into Q3 and Q4, as far as our closings go, it's a bit of a headwind. But as we move into next year, it should provide us some additional tailwinds because, as you know, we saw lumber, you know, move to the 1700 range last year. And now it's out there trading, you know, probably in the high fives. So when we look at new starts coming in the ground, absolutely, that's considered in our pricing as we look I'm into next year's deliveries. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. Cheryl Palmer, CEO of Taylor Morrison. Kelly, back to you. Diana, our thanks to you as well, Diana Olick. Up next, we are halfway through the busiest week of this earnings season. Meta could post its first ever revenue decline after the bell today. The street's closely watching Ford as well, and shares of Stanley Black and Decker, which have moved lower after three of its last four results. We'll have the action, the story, and the trade on all three right after this. Welcome back, everybody. We're at the midpoint of the busiest week for earnings this year. Let's get the action, the story, and the trade on three big names that are set to report in this earnings exchange. And, of course, we are going to start with Meta. They said to report after the bell this afternoon. Will they get snapped, or can they fend off the bears like Google and Microsoft did? Julia Borson is here with the story on Meta. And Chris Grisanti, MAI Capital Management's chief equity strategist, is here today with our trades and ideas. Welcome to both of you. Julia, Meta, sum it up for us. Well, Kelly, this could be the very first quarter that Meta ever reports a decline in revenue. This is a company that has historically grown revenue so meaningfully every quarter. And this quarter, it's expected to decline by 0.4%. So 0.4% revenue decline and a 28% decline in earnings per share. So analysts are going to be looking very closely for any insight into the advertising market both how Meta is managing these macro issues and also how they're navigating these operating system changes from Apple that have been such a headwind to their ability to target and measure ads impact. The other key thing that we're watching here is competition with TikTok. We've heard TikTok mentioned at a number of the other uh, social platforms, ad-supported players, so we are watching that as well. And then, of course, Meta, the metaverse. We need to know now what is going on with Meta's metaverse investments, if they're going to be scaling that back, or when we might get some sign of when some of these new businesses could start to generate revenue. All right, Chris, what is your take on Meta? What do you do with the shares here? Uh, 
thanks, Kelly. It's nice to be with you again. I, you know, I, I think that Meta will, will be more like Google and, and hopefully Amazon later this week in the sense that the expectations are just so low. I mean, the favor that Snap did for, for Meta is going to be making it look good. So they, they have a lot of ways to win. I'm not a huge fan of the stock. Uh, not all adver- uh, internet advertising models are the same. Obviously, Snap has not a great one, and, and Google controls its own ecosystem, which, which Facebook Meta does not. So, so long term, I'm still suspicious here. But, but I think this setup looks pretty good for for Facebook meeting minimal expectations. You know, just because you used the turn of phrase last week, we thought that AT and T was doing Verizon a favor by getting its bad report out first, and then Verizon was worse. So I just I do there wonder, you, you know, if if, if just because it was bad and the bar is low, is you know, is it low enough? Especially after the stocks of five percent today. I think that's right. It's, it's, that's true. It is strong today. But I would say we've had weeks and weeks, not just of the snap numbers, but but of, of just bad news killing these guys. So the yeah. stock is, you know, was at least as of yesterday, pretty near its low. So so. I, you couldn't ask for a better setup. Now, whether they, they can live up to low expectations, we'll see. Real quickly, Julia, we never talk about it, but I just want to throw this out there. I now use WhatsApp more than iMessage, believe it or not. I don't know if I am I a unique in that. No, WhatsApp is is incredibly popular, especially overseas. And it is one of those categories that Meta is investing to make it another growth driver. So we've talked about Messenger, which is something that people tend to use more here in the U.S., and also WhatsApp and this idea of building them out as tools for businesses to interact with consumers. The idea that if you make it an incredibly valuable business tool, then you'll get those companies to invest more in advertising and then a little click to message this business either through WhatsApp or Messenger. So it could be another growth opportunity down the line. Very forward thinking, but honestly, I just like the desktop app. <laughs> the good old fashioned keyboard to crank out the messages. All right, Julia, we'll let you go. Thank you, our Julia Borston. And we'll turn to Ford now, whose shares have fallen 38% this year. They're up about 2% into these results. The street's listening for any numbers on the EV production ramp and deliveries. Demand has obviously been quite strong. The automaker even restructured its business back in March to focus on EVs, leading to recent reports of layoffs, which Ford has not yet confirmed or denied. Supply chain comments will also be key, although chip manufacturing looks better. And everyone will be listening for hints as to whether the auto cycle is turning. Chris, what do you do with Ford here? You know, again, uh, a la Facebook, I I think the expectations, especially again, uh, now that GM has reported, I I think the expectations are really low for Ford. So so I wouldn't, if you want to own Ford long term, I wouldn't be afraid of stepping in front of this. Having said that, it's really tough to own an automaker if you think, as I do, that that the economy is is lurching towards a recession. You know, and of course, in 45 minutes, we'll we'll hear from the Federal Reserve. So, you know, it's a tough time to own an automaker. But I think Ford is set up pretty nicely for tomorrow morning. All right. Fair enough. Don't miss Ford CEO Jim Farley, by the way. He'll be discussing these results in an exclusive interview on Mad Money tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And finally... Got to mention Stanley Black and Decker, whose shares are also down about 39% this year. They just announced this week they're hiking their dividend come fall by about a percent and a half. And focus our demand for housing and home repairs, especially after Weber Grill and Sherwin-Williams have been under pressure this week. Also, any comments on supply chain issues, inflation and pricing? Chris, why are you watching this one in particular? You know, I I have to admit, Kelly, I kind of like this one. Uh, Stanley Black and Decker has really been creamed, uh, uh, and it clearly it's suffering from the dual problems of uh, it's in the housing sector, and, and also um, 
the, the post-COVID reopening. So both mortgage rates and COVID reopening are hurting the housing sector right now. So, um, so the stock is down almost 50%. The PE is at about a 10-year uh, relative low to the market. And, and so th this company has been around for 100 years. It's going to have softer earnings this year, but the growth should continue next year. I would say on any weakness, and, and they could have a mediocre report. If there's any weakness, I, I would be a buyer of this stock. We don't own it right now, but, but we're looking hard. And, and I like the long-term uh, value proposition here. It, it, they have terrific brands. So uh, I'm kind of a fan of this one. And he's still sniffing around the builders, too. You know, this is my favorite thing to talk to you about. Sure. No, no. And, and you know, th they're radioactive right now. And sometimes these radioactive sectors can, can really give you some, some bargains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes. And like you said, maybe in it not for the, uh, the quick trade, but for the longer run. Chris, we'll leave it Absolutely. there today. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you again. Chris Grisanti from Thanks. MAI. Up next, these rate hikes aren't often cheered by investors in emerging markets. The EEM ETF is down since the last Fed hike, but the impact of recent and future hikes could be more muted than it has been in the past. We'll reveal why next. Welcome back. The Fed is poised to hike rates by another three quarters of a point in just about 10 minutes time. While it usually isn't good news for the emerging market investors, things could be different this time around. Seema Modi has a look at what's changed, Seema. Kelly, when we have a scenario of surging inflation and rising rates, that typically means bad news for emerging markets. But what's worth noting is some countries have learned from the past. Case in point, Indonesia and South Africa hit hard in 2013 by the taper tantrum because of the size of their current account deficits. They're now running on a surplus. If we zoom out and look at the total amount of debt the fragile five economies are sitting on, that includes Brazil, Turkey, India, that debt is smaller than it was eight years ago. At this point, the International Institute of Finance says the notion of a taper tantrum sending emerging markets into a crisis remains low, but it will remain a big headwind. As rates and the dollar rise, the cost of service foreign debt does go up. The World Bank also cutting its growth forecast for developing economies to 3.4% for this year from 4.6% previously. According to Capital Economics, most vulnerable include Argentina, Turkey. In a better situation are those economies tied to energy prices. So Brazil, Saudi Arabia, uh, UAE that have seen their fiscal positions improve in the last couple of months. Kelly. We were definitely worried about the impact of that strong dollar and all the recent uh, hikes. It has been, I guess, calm enough. What about China? Is that a different story? It could potentially be shielded by the rate rise here, Kelly, because China's total debt as a percentage of GDP has gone up, but it's mostly in current local currency bonds, not in dollar denominated debt. At the same time, you have President Xi Jinping reaffirming a GDP target of 5.5% this year. We'll see if they can get there. K-Web China Internet ETF up now 15% in the past three months. We'll be hearing from Alibaba, JD.com, but also some of the U.S. companies like Starbucks that have that exposure to the Chinese market. That will give us a good read on what's really happening on the ground. Look at Adidas yesterday. It was Chinese demand, I think, that was one of the reasons right. why they had to warn. And whether that's unique to them or not, time will tell. Time will tell. Seema, thanks. Mm -hmm. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.